0: The Meet for Teacast is brought to you in part by Sonelab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonelab.com for more information. That's info at s-o-n-e-l-a-b dot
1: the record button
2: have we started we have started so this is the meet for t cast you might always start like that who knows hello hello this is mark Allen miller
0: (laughs) this is mark Allen miller
2: no this is
0: okay well then i'm by default elizabeth mcduffie
2: what happened to my voice
0: um it's it's what's that movie um when they switch.
2: Mm, there's been so many switching there's movies.
0: Been so many. I'm just thinking of um uh, the one um with Danny DeVito.
2: And Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah. Twins.
0: Twins. Nah, that doesn't work. Anyway, hi. Hi everybody.
2: I look exactly like Danny DeVito.
0: <laughs> Neither of us looks like either of them. <laughs> Oh, so, hi, I hi exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ooh, y'all. Yeah. Y'all. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually pretty cool. I like him. So here we are. What what episode number is this now?
2: This is 16. I
0: know, right? Well, We're doing it. So welcome back, everybody. Episode 16. Welcome of the back. D-cast. So we've got some special stuff today. Well,
2: we want to say, first of all, Happy Juneteenth, everybody.
0: Yes, of course, by the time you hear this, it's past Juneteenth, but we're recording it on Juneteenth. On
2: Juneteenth, we even have our anti-racist brownies from Belly of the Beast and some Jamaican hand pies, which we'll eat before the brownies, that's with our, which
0: to celebrate. That's our dinner tonight. I'm so psyched about we might that. make a salad. I'm not trying to kill us. I think that would be a good balance, but that sounds so good. I
2: recommend the anti-racist brownies. They're giving a certain amount of the proceeds. To a helping organization. I forget which one, but I recall it's a good one. And these brownies, well, if you're vegan or vegetarian, you won't be as excited by this as we were. But yeah. they have pork fat.
0: Brownies made with pork fat, I mean. Hell
2: I, yes. Come
0: on. That's Hell yes. <laughs> marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. Yeah, Belly of the Beast. North we Thompson. love them. Check them out.
2: Support them. Order their delicious food. They make everything in house, including their tofu,
0: which is not. Soy tofu. I
2: found a tofu that I'm not allergic to. Oh, incredible! Holy crap! And don't they do
0: something else with with chickpeas as well?
2: Well, I know they make a miso. Oh, yeah, a miso chickpea. Yeah, that's that I can also eat, and this is this is rare for me with a soy allergy. So I appreciate them.
0: Shout out to Belly the Beast. Shout it's, out, Josh. I think this is the second time that we've um, we've had their food since we've been in the hotel.
2: It is. Yeah. It's how we make it slightly more special.
0: Well, your cooking makes it special.
1: But
0: <laughs> well, we've also had, we've had Corsello Butcheria's meat
2: share. We've had their meat share, and we just got our first Misfits Market
0: box of produce. Shout out to Charles Thompson. He's the one who gave us the heads up that that it was a thing. And shout
2: out to Misfits Market if you're looking for a podcast to sponsor. Hint, hint, <laughs> wink, wink,
0: looking at you. Come on, guys, come on. So let's let's cut right down to the chase here. Our special guest tonight, it's another one of those Zencaster internet interviews, again so apologies for any weird glitchy audio that might happen from time to time that is the nature of podcasting during COVID-19 and not being face-to-face, but we have...
2: Khalif Neville, my piano teacher until it became impossible to have people in the house and teach piano lessons and then until the house fire made it furthermore impossible. And son of Charles Neville, of the famed and illustrious Neville brothers, also famous in his own right.
0: Yeah, if you say Neville enough times that you hope people would put that together.
2: (laughs) You would, but I've noticed there's been an increasing amount of dimness in this nation.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, okay, this is true. So we've got a conversation between Elizabeth and Khalif that was recorded last night, actually. Last
2: night. He tells his dad, Charles, had stories that, according to Mark, would bring an entire studio recording session to a halt. Oh,
0: yeah. The the first time that that Charles came into the studio to do do some saxophone work, we actually just stopped the clock and listened to... It was like Charles is telling some stories about his life, and we just got I made mean, fantastic, wonderful, you know, sometimes a little scary, um, very relevant to to what's going on these days. Uh, you know clearly things haven't changed much, but really, really amazing, honest stories. And he's just such a charming man. his His son is completely in his footsteps in terms of that, uh, and an honored to know both of them. But yeah, we, we would just stop a session and listen.
2: And yeah, from what I hear, Charles was a true rock and tour. And it appears that Khalif has followed in his dad's footsteps because yeah. he can spin a yarn.
0: Yeah, Well, you'll all find that out very shortly. Uh, we will also be featuring music from Khalif on a record that I worked with him on. And his, his dad is the featured uh, saxophone player on the two cuts that we were going to be Featuring Is an that I, the
2: last recording Khalif and his dad did together before his dad's demise?
0: Uh, it's the last studio recording that I'm aware of, yes. Yeah, um, that's important. It was, And it was basically Khalif's like, official soul album release, a jazz record that I did a few years ago with him called Wishin'. And we're going to play a couple songs from that over the course of this podcast. And so that's, that's something to you know, definitely stick around for. Can I throw in a plug? Plug away.
2: Uh, if you're looking to learn jazz piano, and obviously you can't have your teacher in your house, Khalif does online lessons. He'll give you some details on how to contact him for that. He was my jazz piano teacher, and yes, I'm classically trained, but he really got me attuned to playing jazz and
0: seriously, pretty yeah. rapid speed. Yeah, no, no, it was the. You want to hear my all something. blues. Um, we're also going to be featuring some music from uh, a, young yeah, a young woman. Yeah, young woman, Kamaya Diggs, who we met.
2: Well, she was my intern some, cheese five years ago.
0: Something like that, yeah.
2: Five or four years ago, I remember she met my little grandson, Finnegan, four and a half, and she held five-month-old Finnegan. She actually sat him up on his little mat And tried to see if he could sit independently Which he sort of could If you balanced his weight on his fat belly Just right right. Just
0: tip him forward a little
2: bit Just Let his (laughs) his chubs support him So yeah But um, I I met her first She emailed me Seeing if I had internship positions open She was a student at Swarthmore then And she was a boon to meet for tea, and she continues to be a boon to the local community.
0: She's she's a, a music teacher, uh, a musician, artist, you know, visual artist as well. I mean, just wonderful. So we're gonna we're gonna play some uh, music from her. I, I did a record with her and her sisters in uh, 2000. Jeez, was two- that home? Home, home, yeah, the, yeah. D- the Diggs sisters, and that was like 2016. Beautiful they, album, by the way. They came in. It's just acapella, and the three of them came in, and we recorded this whole, this whole record in like, I don't know, a couple hours, and then I think I spent about two hours mixing it. And, and I mean, three vocals, and you know, in a room like, but it is something else. We're gonna play a couple songs from that record. And also a track that I did, the only track that I did on her 2018 solo album called Breastfed. I recorded one song. We're going to play a song from that record, which was the whole album mostly was recorded and mixed by a good friend, Danny Bernini over at a lovely studio. Hi, Spirit Danny. House. Hi, Danny. Uh, Spirit House Studios that are now in, I believe, Long Meadow, but they were based in Northampton at the time. And uh, Paul McNamara. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. ...was my partner at Slaughterhouse for years and years and years, um, back in the 90s, and one of the people who actually kind of gave me my start in the recording business, he and his partners in the studio hired me as a freelancer back in the day, and then I ended up being one of the owners of the studio. But So we're going to play a couple of tracks from uh, from the Home Home record at the end of the podcast, but I think we should start off...
2: Did you want to mention that... You recorded Khalif and Kamaya, or they, they they performed together. Khalif and Kamaya did a show I mean, together. They, they,
0: they performed at at Florence Night Out about a year ago together, which is kind of cool.
2: I know. Um, I wish I'd caught that.
0: Yeah, I, sadly, I missed that. That even happened. I just learned about that recently. We
2: were probably recovering from a cirque.
0: <laughs> That's very likely. But uh, Khalif has also performed at like a hundred thousand poets for change. hundred thousand
2: poets for change. Um, poetry, prose, and pints. I I have to be in touch. But I'm imagining 100,000 Poets for Change this year will be a virtual affair. We'll see.
0: Well, that's where we are. But I think before we jump into your conversation with Khalif, we're going to lead everything off with a song called Phobia Number 9, which was recorded at Song Lab, mixed by Danny Bernini at Spirit House. And it's from Kimaya Diggs' soul album, breastfed, and we'll we'll leave links to whatever we can uh, link you to for both of their solo material in the show notes. So anyhow, I think without further ado, we should talk right into a track from Kimaya and then your conversation with Khalif.
1: Yay. All
0: right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go.
3: dry. On the shelf beside Kipling and Keats I found an old chapbook of yours, it was leather bound. I asked the guy, how long has this been here forever? He said it keeps coming back to us unread. It's a sin. So I paid him the two ninety nine that it cost and sat down on a cushion near Robert Frost and dug in. There's a high noon and a low road, a slow smile and a deep wish. Drop a secret or a stone or a thought in the night and I might know this. There's a slow burn and a thick wall. New, bald, and a rising tide Don't forget that when I knew you And thought you had gone I was on your side As the day grew along I read poem after poem Your words worked through me And brought me home I remember When you finally, faithfully Wrote one for me After four years together in 2013 in December I was wrapping a gift for your youngest niece a diary with a lock when I felt a piece of the wheel Then you came in the room like a bird on the wing and the looking said everything I couldn't feel There's a sweet wind and a high cool Hot, dark, and a soft night Sinking now and a heart and a boat in one shot But you're not alright There's a bright room and a tight walk A quick snow and a slow light Sink your head into my pillow and stay in one spot Cause you're hot all night What are you so afraid of, what metal are you made of, what simple candid shade of me
2: Hello, Khalif Neville. Welcome to episode 16 of the Meet for Tea cast. Happy to have you with us.
4: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No,
2: we're so thrilled to have you. I'm going to introduce you a little bit. Khalif Neville is son of Charles Neville, of the very illustrious Neville brothers, and also for until COVID hit, was my piano teacher. Yep, <laughs> and a really good one. And I hear that you figured out a COVID-friendly way to teach piano lessons. So if you want it,
4: yeah, sure. Um, it was a little challenging to a little challenging to dial it in, but with all these wonderful video chatting services, mm-hmm. I figured out a good balance of talking to people and just showing them what I'm playing. That works pretty well and one of my students got into the UMass music program over video audition so (laughs) I guess it's working
2: (laughs) that is a feather in your cap that is completely
4: awesome (laughs) yeah I was very proud of it
2: now how do people connect with you if they'd like to sign up for piano lessons with you which I'm sure most of our podcast listeners are going to want to do right away
4: Yeah, so I will say supplies are limited, so hit me up quick. But um, pretty low tech. I just if you want to shoot me a phone call or a text, um, that's the best way. Could give my email too. Should I say it now or put it in the link or something?
2: You can say it, and we'll we'll put phone call and phone number if you with your permission in the show notes of the podcast. Sure.
4: Yeah. So my phone number is four one three. Nine seven seven six nine five three and um just put my email in the show notes because don't want to say that on the air. It's kind of uh, goofy.
2: <laughs> gotcha. Rolled I up. think that's <laughs> absolutely the right choice. So you have performed at a number of meet for tea events, maybe not the Cirques, but at Poetry Prose and Pints. And also at 100,000 Poets. I think you performed at 100,000 Poets. Was it twice or three times even?
4: Oh, man. I think it was, might have been three times. It
2: was twice. Might have been.
4: Can't quite remember, but it was always fun. And I really appreciate you having me. I love playing outside, and it'll probably be the only way to play from now on. So (laughs) (laughs) it's
2: It's a new paradigm. It's a new paradigm for sure. And you've also done some recording at my husband's studio. Oh, yeah.
4: My my um, latest album, Wishing, which now is pretty old. But it's my favorite because it had my dad on it. And I think it's the last album he recorded before he passed away, which not to be dark. I You know, he, he was an older gentleman, I figured, you know um be cool to get a recording of him at that stage of his life when he was enlightened. <laughs> so Definitely. I, I, that's one of my favorite records and of course the mixing and mastering is top notch.
2: Tell us the name of the record and where people can go to procure it.
4: So it's called Wishing and just look my name up thankfully. Um my parents gave me some great search engine optimization by naming me as they did so They
2: really did.
4: It, it'll be pretty easy to find and um you can it's on all the platforms but if you really want Bandcamp? Wanna, yep. I actually I don't know that it's on Bandcamp. I published it through a third-party publisher and I think that they don't work with Bandcamp but I uh, mean all the songs are free on YouTube and frankly if you become a piano student, I'll feel compensated financially. So you can go listen to it for free.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's only for the piano students.
4: Everyone else don't don't watch the YouTube.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Not for you guys. And Mark actually had the pleasure of recording your father at his studio years ago. He's got one of his treasured pictures of, himself next to your charming father with his charming smile. <laughs>
4: yep. I think I was at one of one or two of those sessions and that was where I got my interest in recording sparked also. So we go way back. <laughs> nice.
2: And Mark tells me that while they're in recording sessions with your dad that sometimes they'd have to stop recording altogether and just go off the clock for a while because Charles Neville would start to tell one of his amazing stories. And everything had to pause because everybody
4: was enraptured. Yep, that's a very common occurrence with him. I heard my fair share of them, and they were all pretty incredible. And uh, I would love to tell one today if that's what we want to do. Well, that was my segue. <laughs> awesome. So I would love for you to do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So just given current events, I figured that I would tell one that had to do with race relations, which most of them did because growing up in the South. Sure. Um, you know, that's that's the thing. And it's, a, it's thing. a reality. It's a thing around here, too. I'll tell a little story of my own at the end. But um Anyhow, this one I thought it was a good combination of humor, which was probably my dad's most impressive trait that he could <laughs> laugh at all these ridiculous and often times disgusting events and just say you know look on the bright side so anyhow, um he was a great storyteller he'd always set the scene perfectly, and I can't exactly remember the location, so it won't be quite as good, but it was in Florida in the 1950s when he was a teenager and he was playing in a band not the neville brothers or any subsidiary thereof but um black musicians and they had just finished a gig and they were driving through some sulfur fields which sounds pretty spooky oh, oh. misty and smelled like rotten eggs gross and florida's flat so that's spooky for me no matter what but Anyhow, they were running out of gas, and they saw a little gas station up ahead, and they, they were all a little sketched out because car full of black men late at night in uh, uh-huh. what is now Trump country back in the 50s. No, that's, uh, that's a little bit of a, a scary situation to be in, but anyhow, they had to get gas because they didn't want to walk, and they pulled into the station, and uh, the attendant, who was a white man, came up to them and Said something to the effect of, uh, I don't know, how you boys doing or what Mm. can I help you with, you know. But so they're like, oh, just going to get some gas. So they started fueling up. But the band leader had a bumper sticker on his car that said, this car stops for all blondes. (laughs) Oh, no. And uh, yeah, that didn't didn't go over too well. So once the um, gas station attendant saw that, he pulled out a gun and said i'm the sheriff in this town i'm placing y'all under arrest <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs> Which, i
4: can't help but laugh at it because he definitely was not the sheriff <laughs> but, but uh anyhow at that point um the band leader or someone was like uh for what and he's like he said and i quote i remember this part very well i heard y'all speeding when you came in so That right there. That tells you the rationale of a lot of this racially driven nonsense because I I can tell you, you can't hear someone speeding. I mean, you can, but you know what I mean?
2: (laughs) Unless they lay rubber, you can't.
4: Yeah. and, And I mean, that's not evidence. But anyhow, just got them at gunpoint. So they're like, oh, well, here we go again. And you took them into the gas station, which is like a little... It wasn't really a little market, but there was a little store in there and they put them in some like back storage room, which had, which I think had like a locked door. So they locked them in there and they were like, oh man, how do we end up in this situation? How are we going to get out? And. While they were thinking, they looked around them. I also remember this part very well. My dad said there was a lot of uh, whiskey stored back there. So I'm like, oh, well, this is the first step.
2: May as well.
4: (laughs) And uh, so they they helped uh, test out the stocks. And then one of the band members, somehow, I cannot remember how they made it out of this, but it was was incredible. He, He said, that he had a wire transfer owed for some gig or something, so he convinced them to let him call whoever was supposed to pay him to wire transfer, so they could get out. And it took all night, so they were in there all night. But in the morning, obviously, because I'm here, they made it out. And uh, it's uh, definitely missing a few beats of that story, but overall, it's just it's just a good example of how ridiculous. Some of the
2: oh my god
4: racial uh, interactions were back in those days and still today. So
2: and yeah. still today and
4: it's it's kind of crazy. People think we've come so far and we have, but we also but haven't at the same time. We
2: haven't. It's like the '60s again.
4: Yeah, it's just a lot of the same systems are in place, and I was I was kind of the stuff will weigh heavy on your mind, especially when you're in isolation like this and i was thinking about it the other night and i was like you know uh white white folks white men in particular they're they're not that great at most things no offense can't really uh play basketball that well i'll just put that out there but um it's true sports athletics all that stuff people of african descent seem to excel at those things, which maybe that's a, a reason for some of this. But one thing that white men are great at is instituting systems that will just destroy whoever they want it to destroy, whether it's the minorities or a native, indigenous people, whoever. And that stuff is so good that even though most people aren't really trying to keep it going consciously, it's, it's still, the cogs are still spinning in the background and they're working great, obviously. So
2: and it's gross it's so gross
4: it's it's not a good thing but you know it it is
2: not but that's why we're giving space here and now in the podcast for voices that matter the most and yours is one of the one of them so thank you
4: oh I appreciate that thank you for having me Story that this, this is like so long. good. This one would be a maybe a little longer, but it occurred over a longer period of time. So my dad was in prison for I can't remember if his sentence was five years or if he got out after five years, and it was supposed to be longer. Either way. Several years, but he was in the one of the worst prisons in the country, which is the Angola State Penitentiary of Louisiana. Which, that
2: place is famous.
4: Yeah, and it's because it's basically just a um, plantation that got transferred over into after-slavery times. And
3: oh, my God. Because of
4: the loophole in the 13th Amendment, you can still uh, enslave people, pretty much, if they're convicts, so— The reason he got arrested, this is great, put it in perspective today for all us people here in Massachusetts, was for possession of two joints of marijuana. So, five years of hard, basically slave labor for two joints. Y'all think about that for a second. Wait a minute. Yeah, I know. Tell
2: that to the dispensaries.
4: Yeah, I know. And the worst part, I don't don't even smoke weed anymore. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so got arrested, got convicted, went there, and he said one of the first days he was there, one of the things they had you do because it's a p- plantation is pick cotton. So they went out in the field. Jesus Christ! And uh, what they the guy on the horse who you know that's a symbol of what the police were at start just keeping keeping those folks in line. He said, all right, y'all, expletive, start start picking. My dad thought to himself, what in the hell? I don't know how to pick any again. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you just had to figure it out because if you were too slow, they'd just either – I couldn't tell from the story. It sounded like they'd just shoot you, which it wouldn't surprise Shit. me that much, but or at least they'd knock you in the head real hard with the butt of their rifle or something. But anyway, that's a – Yeah, that that was the the beginning of that. And and throughout that whole experience, obviously, it was not fun on any level. And I'm very impressed that my dad became the person he did, even having gone through it. But one moment that was on the brighter side, as far as racial issues go, was a lot of the, at this point, famous musicians in the New Orleans music scene were in Angola at that time for one reason or the other, because... Obviously, it's not hard to lock up people like that, especially in that time. So uh, James Booker was in there, who, in my opinion, as a piano player, was the most technically impressive New Orleans pianist.
2: I've got to listen to more of him.
4: He's great. He's really, he could play anything. My dad said he was, I don't remember how, he was in a class or something with him once, and the teacher gave them a book of classical music, and James asked, how do you want me to play this front to back, back to front, or inside out? <laughs> so
2: I'm impressed. He
4: was he was that good, and uh, you damn. know, damn. And but still, ended up in there somehow. And there are a lot of other great musicians. But like all things at that time, the music department, even within the prison, was segregated. So they they had the two um, two, the white music department and the black music department basically but at some point one of the white musicians came over to the black department to ask my dad how to do something because he's a saxophone player and he couldn't figure it out so my dad helped him because he's world-class great saxophonist and this guy who obviously had been indoctrinated in the racism and uh you know all that brainwashing and he realized wait a minute if this expletive black person is uh, showing me up on how to play music, then all that stuff that I was taught about black people being dumb and incapable is not true. <laughs> and, uh,
1: uh-huh. After
4: that point, I don't know if the prison itself integrated the two music programs, but all the people in them just started working together. So that was a nice. cool moment of bringing it together through music, which is kind of what my dad did for his whole life because and even just yesterday, I was looking at some photos from a jazz festival and I realized, wow, 90% of the people there are, are white in the audience, you know, and 90% of the artists who perform at the New Orleans Jazz Festival are black. And that's, that's so weird. You know, that's often how it is. But it's it just shows that the arts will will always uh, bring people together. And even way back in the day, like there was this documentary on PBS about the uh, the jazz ambassadors from the Cold War, where uh Louis Armstrong and Dizzy Gillespie and a bunch of those guys had to go to yep. the Soviet Union to try and change, dismiss stereotypes. So my girlfriend made a good point that, in essence, those uh, black artists probably saved the world from nuclear war, <laughs> which uh,
2: they may, probably may did. very
4: well be true. So.
2: They should get Nobel Prizes.
4: Yep, yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's a cool story. I'm excited to watch that one. But anyhow, arts is are very powerful. But even still, one thing that I want wanted to talk about a little bit for present day is how racism is still a part on a fundamental level in music, in the music business overall, but particularly, in my opinion, in some certain styles of music. And, um, you know, I definitely, I, I've seen it from what my dad told me, because he, he was I, I don't know. He, he was a musician. The more I learned, I realized genres aren't really something you should stick yourself inside of, but he really loved jazz and more so than pretty much anyone else in the Neville family. And, nice. um, you know, he studied it a lot. His two favorite saxophonists were Charlie Parker and John Coltrane. And um, but what, what, what do they all have in common? They were all, all black, you know? All the great saxophonists, 99% of them in the time when when jazz was coming up, were African American, and uh, like what I've noticed is nowadays jazz is kind of divided. Where the institutions which took all the things that those black musicians innovated and created kind of just wrote it down and turned it into a curriculum, which is mostly being taught by white professors, and Gross, you know a lot of the people, way. a lot of the people that can go to those schools, whether it's for financial socioeconomic or whatever reason, are also white. Um, But the problem with it, and this is just on a musical level, is that that type of jazz has stagnated and there's nothing new happening. Like, No disrespect, I won't name any particular music departments. Oh,
2: I'm I'm looking at some schools. I am looking at some schools right now. I could name names, but I won't. But I'm looking at
4: some schools. Yeah, but uh, anyhow... It it just seems to me as though they took a lot of the work that these African-American musicians figured out a long time ago, and they encourage people not to be creative, but to just basically copy that because that's jazz. And it's weird for me as a musician because it's like, well, that's not creative. And being creative is the point of being an artist, any type of artist. But also it's just like looking at all of what those people, all the work they did and kind of just... Basically, I'll say it: whitewashing it, you know, where it's it's the same it's the same stuff that Charlie Parker or John Coltrane played, but it's just a bunch of white college kids. No disrespect to them. They're just trying to do their music thing. But again, it's a system that's in place. And the weirdest part of it is what I would call real jazz. And I would consider myself a jazz musician still, even though all those professors wouldn't it's because i'm creating i'm innovating you know if anyone knows of Thundercat, he's probably one of the best bass players in the world right now Ooh, really, really incredible check him out and he's played with a lot of the the hip hop guys just great artist but i'll check him people, out most people would probably say well that's not jazz and then if i were to have a dialogue with them i'd say why not and they'd say well it's not swing oh he's playing electric bass you know all sorts of really um oops dismissible reasons but why I'd say he's a jazz musician is because he's playing very complex modern music. That's innovative, you know? And to me, that's really what jazz was is it was an innovative music for the time. Always. And, Always. and that's why like the jazz musicians in my opinion, who aged best are, you know, Herbie Hancock. He's, playing since all the time.
2: Damn straight Cantaloupe Island. I was just learning
4: exactly. it under and, you. And he, uh, he started in Miles Davis uh, Quintet, which was like the where you had to go through if you were going to be great. Bill Evans went through there. John Coltrane went through there. Pretty much every great jazz musician went through that quintet. So he started out playing jazz in the old, the traditional way and then he evolved, you know. Chick Corea is another great example of someone who evolved. And nowadays if you compare his modern recordings to the stuff they're teaching at these institutions, it's like a time jump, you know? It's like you're going back in time when you're at all these schools. Yet this is what they're teaching. And to me, it just seems like theft in a way where these the the whole curriculum is just based off of a certain time period and it's not looking at it as what it should be, which is a creative art form. It's looking at it as a, a historical like piece. And <laughs> to be a jazz musician within these institutions is just to be able to copy and play that same stuff really well. And obviously, it's more nuanced with, than that and all things are. But fundamentally, I find it frustrating that a lot of those institutional type of people won't consider what is actually jazz today to be jazz. And what is actually jazz is largely, again, black like thundercat he's black man another one robert glasper great i
2: love him
4: great modern jazz pianist I've
2: to a ton of his stuff it's
4: great and he's very innovative. It's so good and again he's a black man you know myself i consider what i do to be innovative and i i learned from someone who learned it straight from the actual innovators like of the the old days and you know i, I just want to do my own thing and i I don't know why it's like that. It doesn't totally make sense. There's a lot of white people that are making great modern music, but still it's about this notion of like uh, a great example would be the band Snarky Puppy, which just to prove that. Robert
2: Glasper.
4: Well, uh, or he's he's not a Snarky Puppy. It's um Corey Henry is the keyboard player in that one. But he's, again, another black Forgive man. Forgive
2: me for being a white dumb. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make uh, Mark leave that part in too. <laughs>
4: well, that's all right but uh because that's
2: where it's at
4: uh Corey henry's uh another black keyboardist incredible hats off to him i think he's the best keyboardist organist in in the game today and uh but to just to be fair the band is headed by this guy michael league who is a bass player white jewish dude you know it's it's nuanced but the thing is if i took that to the jazz department at insert institution They'd sure. say, and I said, "What genre is this?" They'd say, "Um, hmm, mm, oh, hmm, interesting. Uh, fusion, mm,
2: scratch chin, scratch chin,
4: scratch <laughs> exactly. beard." They'd say anything except for it's jazz. And what would I say? I'd say, "This is jazz, man, because it's innovative. I can cite, like, on a technical level, ten licks that were taken from Charlie Parker, from blah and blah, and just because they're using it in a new way." It's not jazz. It, that, to me, that's the weirdest thing within the music business that I don't get is why there's people who think jazz is this timepiece from the, whatever, 1940 through 1970.
2: It's always evolving, right? Yeah. It's always changing. And that's the
4: shape. All, that's it's changing. All genres, And I would even say that hip hop was influenced mostly by jazz because a lot of the greatest hip hop DJs like... Um, jay dilla he's just sampling jazz records and putting a beat over it but it's that creative use of it and in my opinion that's the essence of jazz is just taking what jazz was and totally flipping it on its head and making it into something new and because hip-hop influenced pretty much every other form of modern popular music you can say that's all come from jazz but for some reason the people institution don't want to look at that it that way and i'll just say it i think it's because they can't make money off it because you can't I mean, I (laughs) can't. But you can't really teach people just how to be creative. You know, there's not there's not like the ten step rubric. You can't give them some book about all these licks that so and so played. I mean, that's how I teach. So if anyone likes what I'm saying, please uh, give me a holler. And it's worked really well. All my students, I'd say, are very creative and innovative. And you can totally be that way. And also play older music. And in my opinion, you'll appreciate the older music even more if you come at it from a innovative angle. So anyhow, I just find that very weird, but particularly in this time where a lot of white people are reflecting about what it means to just be white and do whatever you normally do. A lot of my friends who are white musicians are like, oh, shucks, man, by me playing jazz, am I, you know, what's the word? Appropriating. Appropriating. And and the answer is really... Yes. And, but again, I don't, I'm not going to tell them, put your thing down, go play country or classical. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say (laughs) it.
2: But, but, um,
4: you know, it's, it's great that they're reflecting and, and particularly musicians I'd say are pretty forward thinking types of people. So, but again, it's on the systemic level where the, the educational system just has it designed in this way where people think of jazz a certain way. And in my opinion, I'll just tell you flat out like, I've seen a lot of my friends who've gone through these systems, the ones who did it the way the systems wanted them to, where you learn how to play all the the John Coltrane licks and you learn all the, the scales and all this other stuff, you know, scales are important, but you know what I mean? The, I do. It, their careers, no offense to them, haven't gone to the places that the people I've seen who either didn't go to school or left school and said, you know what, I value my creativity. I'm going to be my own artist. Their careers have gone much further and much better. And frankly, I think all of my family has not gone to music school. We're all pretty successful musicians. <laughs> you know Indeed. I
1: mean? <laughs> Indeed.
4: So it's not to say education isn't valuable. And I always struggle with telling my older students this, like if they're thinking about going to music school. And like I said, one of my my students got into a great music department, but I just tell them this stuff up front. I'm like, just so you know, there's this stuff going on with the system However, for me, my dad was a world-class institution that lived in my house. You know, I got a free world-class education from him. And, and there's some people that don't have that. So with all things, you know, you should go, you should never not learn something, but just keep an open mind, take it with a grain of salt. So, you know, I'm not trying to say don't go to music school because there's still a lot of things you can learn. I'm just trying to say it's <laughs> it's not going to set you up as good as you think for cultivating a career and in some ways it is also a bit of a racist institution. I guess that's basically it. Like I'm not not trying to discourage anyone, but as people are realizing finally, I think with this last bit, racism is so deeply um, intertwined with every part of our society like with
2: that
4: baked in like the Aunt Jemima pancake mix
2: <laughs> and gross by the way we don't need oh, yeah, that image anymore
4: that's, that's, and that's like that whole thing at first I was like oh that's good and this is how I've been thinking about most of this news coverage but then I'm like wait a minute This that didn't happen (laughs) earlier. You know what I mean? Like with all these uh Confederate statues, it's like, wait a minute, that didn't happen earlier. And you're scratching your head, you're like, why? And it's not that there's so much I mean, there obviously is a lot of bad racist action, but there's a lot of just ignorance and inaction. That's the real problem. And I think finally there's starting to be more action whenever the there's this proposed bill, blah, blah, blah. I'll believe it when I see it, but you know, people are realizing. Me too. Man, Me too. You know, there's uh, there's something going on here, and it's really on every level of of everything, even music. And that some people might not think of it that way because, like, oh, music is all inclusive. And my dad certainly felt of it that way. But again, it's not about anyone in music being racist. I don't think I've ever encountered a racist musician, not at least like consciously. Maybe someone was like, "Oh man, drop a verse for me," and I actually can rap, so I appreciate that. But, <laughs> but um, you know, no one's ever like been mean in a racist way. However, the system around music business, educational system related to music, is designed still in a way similar to that. And and it's not even like the the uh, the policing institution where it's designed to like destroy people and just be violent. It's more that it's oh. kind of just stealing, <laughs> stealing a lot of uh, innovation that black artists made, and that's also just something that happens in the music business all the time. Like i always remember my dad telling me about when Louis Armstrong got started, how for some reason he couldn't get a recording deal because this terrible white jazz band out of Chicago had to be the first band to record a like oh, jazz album. and then if you look in in hip-hop history like Vanilla Ice that song's god awful and it was still like the biggest hit and you gotta wonder is it just because like they wanted to push that narrative and and it, no disrespect I like Eminem I think he's a skilled. MC. However, you gotta. I wonder, like him
2: too, but you
4: gotta wonder. Exactly, it's just like why is he the most famous, or was he in that era in the '90s when you know NWA was coming out? And in my opinion, they were some of the most like vocal proponents of Black Power. And just the first three lines of that song. F the police, coming straight from the underground, young, yeah, yeah. got it bad because I'm brown. What That's still true. You know what I mean? And like that. It's
2: still, so true. And it's just like,
4: why? <laughs> to me, it's like, why did these white records get so much publicity when they're, for one, that some weren't even good. It's just, it, it never made total sense. And, oh. you know, it's just... And that's that's one reason I'm I'm really proud to be part of the Neville family because, you know, that was a all black band who went all around the world and had a lot of yep. white fans and really And, and success. And, yeah, and their music was was also addressing a lot of the issues and it was it came across well, but you know, just the the systems are all they're they're all crazy and it doesn't the music business is not spared from that uh that uh mechanism. But you know, people are wondering, oh, man, that's crazy. What can I do? I would say this, this might seem like kind of racist in a way it's not. I mean, I don't know if you can be racist towards white people. Most people say no. I kind of understand. <laughs> but basically what I'm going to say is. You just,
2: can't be. You just go for it. <laughs> I go
4: just look, for only listen to black artists. And I guarantee you, like, I'll bet money on it that if you if you're listening to whatever genre, if you look up only black artists within that genre, you will find a lot more innovation than you will anywhere else. Why that is, I don't know. Maybe it's just because arts and music have always been a form of expression for black people, African American people particularly. And you know that that drives that creativity, but I, I guarantee you that's true. And for anyone who's interested in jazz, Go check out Thundercat. I'll admit his singing is a little rough. Like that's my professional opinion. But his bass playing, his songwriting, chord changes, all that's incredible. You know um, I'm
2: gonna check it out. I'm gonna check it out for real.
4: And uh, you know, just I don't know if you're if you're a musician, if you like piano, check out James Booker. If you like bass, check out Richard Bona, great African bass player, probably best bass player. That's not what do you mean? He was like he was the top dog in the uh, I don't know, early two thousands. Second to nice. Victor Wooten maybe. But Victor Wooten, let's see. He's also African American. You know? Um and, and a lot of these people are they're incredible and it's either to me it's like either a lot of great innovation or just superb musicianship.
0: Back in just a moment, and welcome back.
4: And it's crazy. I always remember. Uh, I don't know why I watched this, but I watched the royal wedding with a uh, Meghan Markle. <laughs> and, uh, I
2: did not watch that. Yeah,
4: I think it was uh, it was a joint venture with someone else who was much more interested than me. But anyway, I always remember this cellist, this young uh, black cellist. I think he's from. England, somewhere, but he was just incredible. And I was like, wow, that's a really striking image. He had a huge afro. It's like playing at the royal wedding, like killing these classical songs, like much more heart than. I have I want to
2: put that image in the show notes. I'm to put a link to that image. That's so beautiful.
4: Yeah, it was really cool. I can't remember his name, unfortunately. But again, you know, even classical music. I can music, find it. There's, there's all sorts of people. And, and also, because I've always wondered this, because classical music is so publication-driven, I wonder how much black music like slipped through the cracks and just didn't make it out. Because... I remember hearing one thing on like NPR or something where they were talking about how hard it is to get your pieces to be played by an orchestra, like no matter who you are, because they just want to stick to the old stuff. So Uh, I figured, man, it's got to be impossible to get any headway if there's any type of, you know, racism or apprehension about, oh, well, do we really want to have this great piece and have it coming from someone like that? You know what I mean? For real. uh, So I've always wondered that. And, I don't know. I'm not a big classical buff. I've been getting more into film scoring, which, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of similar. but
2: Yay. Um, and within I, that, I know some filmmakers, by the way. Oh, man. Well, who I want to hit
4: you up. Once once this all gets going again, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> but, right? you know, uh, a great movie with a great score by African-American is um, Black Klansman, which is just also a great, like, piece on racism but the score is by terrence terrence blanchard who's from new orleans actually and a great musician and it's really incredible score very sophisticated technically and i know i think that's one of the most frustrating aspects of racism is this notion that people of color aren't sophisticated and i mean for one it's just not true at all but it's like man like Black people innovated so much, particularly in music. Like without without all the innovations, Black people made, music just wouldn't exist. Like the way I look at it is, classical music is pretty purely. Not I don't want to say white because I don't actually know that much about it. I'm sure there's a lot of influences from other European styles, and you know, obviously everything goes back to someone of color because we all came from Africa. (laughs) You know what I mean? But that's um, where the
2: species originated.
4: But anyway, I would say classical music to me seems pretty white. I'm just gonna say that. And that's again, I don't know a lot about classical, so maybe I'm totally wrong. But I would say you're right. But if you look at the, the the technical aspects of classical music, there's not much rhythm at all. And this is a stereotype. White people don't have rhythm. In this case, is actually 100% it's true. true. And it's a really true. good way to graph how African-American music influenced all other forms of music. Because music coming from Africa, I played African drums in high school. Um... I had a really great instructor. Instructor who was from Africa, and I had to go to Africa in high school, and you know, really experience it. And nice. It's it's all rhythmic music, you know, like that's that, dance is integrated into the music so much, and that that came out in. You know, the blues even, even though the rhythm's very simple, it does have that rhythm to it, whereas classical is very airy. And obviously, someone's going to say, well, it has rhythm. It's got eighth notes and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean, man? Stop being a wise, you know what? (laughs) You know, it's got no beat. You know what I'm saying?
2: Stop being so white. (laughs) So white.
4: Yeah, with the three H's, but... Yeah. So anyway, you know, and if you look at as music evolved, you get to jazz. Jazz is one of the most fascinating styles of music on a technical level, because one simple reason, the musicians will appreciate this. Most other people probably go over their heads, but most forms of music have what's called a backbeat, which is just where on the second and the fourth beat of your memory. Or on the floor. Well, sort of. That'd be the, the kick drum. The backbeat is with the snare, which comes in on the two and fours, like boom, Cha. Boom, cha, you know that's just a normal, normal type of beat, and jazz. That's not the format that it follows. The snare serves more of a function that it does in classical music, which is as an accent. And the thing that really keeps the rhythm is the cymbals, particularly the ride or the hi hat cymbal. But why it's fascinating is because it's totally overhauling a fundamental part of music that, other than classical, which in my opinion, that like the idea of using rhythm in that way hadn't been around yet. Like it wasn't really a thing. So that's why I think jazz is some of the most incredible music, because on the on a bass level, like there is so much innovation beyond pretty much every other style. And and I just think, you know, it's kind of incredible And where jazz come from. African Americans. So you know, right? it's it's uh like particularly music, the the innovation of black people is very evident, but also the <laughs> Theft of that innovation by white people is very evident, and the abuse of those people of color by the music business and uh, you know, like Cadillac gross. records, what, what, what was that? Yeah, you know what I mean. Gross. And, gross, and even modern record deals. Like, I just, I would for one, I'm never going to sign a record deal. You can quote me on that. You'll find it to be true uh, forever. And it's
2: it, quoted here.
4: And it's because, you know, I saw what happened to my my dad's band, not through a record deal particularly. I mean, they got screwed over through their record deals. But even just with the management, like they were managed by a white woman at one point. Whoops. I'm not trying to say it was because she was a white woman, but she stole... In excess of a million dollars from them. So you want to talk about black people stealing stuff? There you go. There's a great example of the contrary. <laughs> you know what I mean? So,
2: and it's all over the place. It's I obvious. I know, and it's just it is everywhere.
4: And that's that's like the craziest part is that the people like might come up with reasons like, oh, well, black people are dangerous. They steal, and it's like. Y'all stole us from our continent. You want to talk about from your stealing? goddamn
2: country? <laughs> you want to talk about
4: stealing me? <laughs> right?
2: I know. So, what a weird conversation. And, and that's from. Like,
4: yeah, I know that's just the funniest thing about this whole narrative currently is I don't, I don't understand. Frankly, I don't understand the Trump people's angle. Like I understand they're angry. I, and I try to be respectful, and like you know, I try to try to level with people. And I like there's this whole idea of oh, you need to defend yourself. Oh, they're gonna take. It's like, what are you afraid of? You people literally brought us here from our continent against our In- will.
2: The holds of ships, you know, yeah, and and it's, rats, and diseases, and so uncomfortably.
4: And even more like, obvious. What the fuck? And even more obvious than that is the the indigenous people. And I've got a little. Uh, I don't know, I never did Ancestry.com, but I whatever maybe a two digit percentage of Native American uh, DNA. And most uh, of us probably do.
2: I mean, anyone that thinks they're purely white, by the way needs to it's not possible. figure their it's shit not. It's out. not possible. Because they're not. probably not. I've got naturally curly hair. Pretty sure I'm not 100%. Yeah,
4: and and that's the other thing. And that's that's specifically around the race issue is it's a little too one-sided. two You know, it's black or white. You know, my mom's white. My dad's black. You know, right. I I identify as black, but at the same time I'm not fully black if that's even a thing. But the problem is it's not a thing, you know, in culture, pop culture and society. You're either black or you're not. And there's there's a lot of great books. There's one called uh passing i think it was by Zora Neale Hurston which was about people in the Oh
2: yes yes i know her i love
4: her in the uh, 1920s or so who were great mixed. author yep. they, they were mixed race and they would pass as white that was a thing you know you just pretend you're white and then get away with it i mean it was like a whole scandalous thing i, w- I wouldn't do that but back, back in that time you know i could see why why it might be a, an option but Anyway, you know, that's just on a racial level. Like, that to me is frustrating how there's it's just kind of two sided, like, you know, it's okay. a
2: weird binary. And yeah. it's a binary. Anytime there's a binary, it's false. Yeah, exactly. there's always more than two points,
4: exactly. And and you know, but the whole people just want to think about it in that simple way, which doesn't work well because some people are simple. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, That's what it
2: boils down to. Some people are just dumb.
4: But you know, yeah, it's it's frustrating. But you know, I was gonna say even more so than with African Americans, the Native people—they were literally on this continent first, and white people just stole the whole freaking thing from them. And I know they've been enacting mass genocide slowly over this whole time and destroying them. Like I said, these systems do. And yet people got this racism from it's like, why, what, what did they do to you? They were here first. Y'all have screwed them over so much more than they ever screwed you. And it's just that thought process that I don't understand. And I, I think it's like, I can't remember if xenophobia is the right word. We're just scared of something cause it's different, but it's, it's that, you know, and it's, there's no, there's no good reason really. And sure. Some black people are criminals and drug dealers. A lot of white people are too. Donald Trump's a goddamn criminal. He runs the country. You know what I mean? Like, right? Exactly.
2: Exactly.
4: It just—it's not. And he's a rapist and possibly a pedophile. Yeah, let's just—we'll check all the boxes for him. Like he left shift on when he was going through the "I'm a bad person" survey.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, there's so many. No, I I, I was actually reading um, a new translation of Homer's odyssey by Emily Wilson and the word you brought up Xenophobia, the word Xenos in ancient Greek was very important to their culture.
4: Hmm. What did it mean?
2: Well, it, it meant how you treated strangers. Interesting. So you would be Xenophiliac loving the strangers you know, slaughtering the fatted calf and cooking it. Or you would be xenophobic. But it, it, it used to go in directions other than xenophobia.
4: Yeah, that's interesting. Isn't it? Very much
2: Xenos so. and, and ancient Greek culture is rooted in actually how they exemplified Xenos with travelers. And they prived themselves on showing
4: that Hmm. well we should uh, take a lesson from history then (laughs) should we not should we not i know it's so frustrating that's the most frustrating part is people particularly even around here even people who would think oh i'm not oh shit Oh, yeah, no, I'm... Don't get me started. I, yeah, and they, it's just this ignorance of thinking, well, I'm too, whatever, I got an iPhone 11, so that's not me. I'm you
2: woke, know, I'm woke.
4: Yeah, where are all those minerals for your <laughs> iPhone 11 from? African countries that are getting destroyed by, again, another mechanism that was put in place by white men. So, you know, it's it's pervasive throughout all of society, but particularly those people who just don't think it's a thing, It, you know... That's the first step. Is really one. Look at history. Look at how ridiculous it is, particularly in this country. And then, Indeed. and then, and then, really say, is all of that gone? And the answer is no. And then, when you realize that, okay, you know, I'll say, all right, you're you're quote unquote woke now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But a lot of people don't, and they just don't. And it's 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 ignorance. Like, um, they just don't. It's because it. Maybe it makes them uncomfortable. They don't want to acknowledge it, you know? And um, here, I'm going to lose everybody right here, but that's, that's okay. You, you just go for it. <laughs> this, Kill it. This has nothing to do with racism at all, but I'll tell you all, all right? I believe in Sasquatch. Again, think I'm crazy. And, I
2: love that. And I, I used to look for Bigfoot <laughs> when I was a little girl. Well, when I was ten, I would be out in the woods with binoculars looking for it.
4: Well, that's Bigfoot's smart. He's hard to find, and that's a that's his survival strategy. But anyway, you know, I've looked. At I was guy. into that though as a kid. Yeah, I love it, and if I love it for no other reason, it's because that type of stuff, for the the type of uh, TV shows and things that are made about that, they inspire a level of mystery in the world that a lot of people think isn't there. I'll just tell you, it is. I'm from New Orleans. We got voodoo. That's all mystery, okay? You know, (laughs) there's plenty of mystery left. And that's why I like those kind of topics, because they remind me that, oh, yeah, there is mystery in the world. But anyway, a similar thing I've found, I've researched this topic a lot, just mostly for fun. I, I find it entertaining. But people who either have supposedly encountered Sasquatch or know of it will deny it because they're afraid they don't it makes them uncomfortable to talk about it and it's because as it's to them it's a scary topic or you know a terrifying experience and the same thing if you if you were like you know you think oh I'm not racist oh I'm not all this blah 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 but if I think about it and I realize that oh maybe I do have some slight bias or this and that which we all do I do you know and I am
2: everybody does you know
4: so you, it's not possible or not but they don't want to think about it because it makes them uncomfortable so i would say for for most people probably listening to this, that's a good first step is really think, okay, let me look at everything I think all the time and see if there's anything I do that's biased, you know, that that, that if I look at someone and I make a judgment on them based on their appearance, that's unreasonable, you know, look at it, cool. And you don't yeah. even, it's not like, I mean, you should try to fix it, but it's obviously not that easy. But if you acknowledge it, that's the first step. And that's why I think this whole movement and things that are going on right now are I'll step in the right direction because by taking down some of these statues, by, um, you know, at least floating these bills on the floor of Congress, a.k.a. the event horizon where everything gets sucked into oblivion, yeah. it's, it's at least being acknowledged, you know, and that's the first step. So I think that's that's an easy thing that everyone can do. And again, everyone's got bias. It's not possible to not. But if you just think about it, you acknowledge it. That's that is the first step to kind of, you know, overcome it. But I agree. Anyway, I went a little over time. but
2: <laughs> I'm so happy that you did. This is great. No, I was just, I was actually talking to a friend today, and it's like we both agreed that the person that announces the conversation was like, well, I'm not a racist. Mm, you <laughs> probably are. You probably
4: are. Like if was- you actually
2: have to say that. You probably are.
4: That's why that's the one thing I don't actually respect anything about Donald Trump. But I do like fake respect how hardcore of a liar he is because he'll just do things that are blatantly racist and then say I'm not a racist and like oh re- no
2: Kanye West loves me <laughs>
4: and the reporters like they're just dumbstruck they're like that's so obviously a lie what do I do so, you know it's and and again like you know you shouldn't have to lie it's okay if you have some some racist bias or you know any of that first step is just acknowledging it and it's there it's in all of culture you look at anything is there and if you look for it you'll really see it and you know that's the crazy part and I think that's what a lot of people in my generation don't realize is it's all still here again because of these systems that were put in place however long ago that really work you know and they keep- I
2: think Reagan administration really got them amped up
4: yeah. You know, right? And, right? and whether whatever the justification is, if it's to keep the streets safe, get the drugs out of here or whatever, you know, who brought the drugs here in the first place? You know, my dad, my dad yeah. told me about all that. But, um, you know, exactly. it's and, and it's all still there. And it's gotten better because a lot of people are reasonable, you know, that's, that's a good thing. That's the cool thing about going to jazz faster, being a musician at all. You know, 99% of the people who come to my shows around here are white. They appreciate my music. They buy my CDs, you know, they support me as an artist. I'm a white
2: piano student
4: outing myself. (laughs) So, you know, and, and, and again, like most, most people are, are very reasonable and it's, you know, there obviously are some people who are just insane, such as Donald Trump. And that's, you know, that's a thing. But people shouldn't think, oh, man, when they realize all these systems and how screwed up a lot of stuff is, they shouldn't think that everyone's a bad person. They should realize a lot of people are good people. We're just still living in a world with these systems in place. And that's what makes me feel good is knowing, OK, most people are actually kind, genuine, not intentionally racist. And that's that's a weird thing. And I'll just say that for one second, you know. Like I said, even if you think you're not racist, you'll probably at some point do something that's slightly racist. But that's yeah, it's not okay. Do you oh.
2: walk faster if you're a white woman walking down the street and you look behind you, and there's a black man? Do you walk faster? Do you hold your purse closer? You know what you are. You, you're that's imprinted in your brain.
4: Really, oh, and and. But like I said, if you acknowledge it, you know, then you're like, oh, OK, I see that makes sense. But, you know, it's it's there. And don't try and think it's possible to never be a little racist, because, again, it's just imprinted. And I'll tell you as someone who's encounter those situations which are very awkward because it's someone you like and they're a friend and they do something that's like oh, are you kidding me <laughs> you know and you people, stop that shit <laughs> and people just laugh about it and it's not because it's because it's not because they are trying to be in or they're consciously thinking about it it's just because it's subconscious on a certain level you know but it's gonna happen and even in our generation even in people younger than me you know that stuff is there, and that's just because that's how the world's been. That's how society's been for such a long time, and it's not okay right. that it's there. But it's okay that you know we got to deal with it. You know what I mean? And that's that's what people can do on a personal level is just you know like, realize that it's there and figure out how they're how they're gonna deal with it. And what you, you did so much. What you did was a very great example of that. You know, you said, well, a lot of stuff going on in the world. I'm going to have r- space for a black voice on my podcast. That's a great example of being gracious and, you know, figuring Well, out- we need to create space <laughs> okay. for voices that are important right now. Exactly. And, and, you know, but just so people could see like, oh, man, what do I do? You know, I don't want to be. I also bought player. some way too expensive shampoo because <laughs> I went online. I looked up
2: black owned Companies that sell beauty supplies, which I do love to buy anyway. Yeah. So and you know what? Do I need a twenty-six dollar bottle of shampoo? No, I probably don't. <laughs> but that's it, is it, it a donation yeah. where my money is going to matter? Yes, it is. Yeah. And I'm gonna give it there.
4: And you know, that's that's a great step. And you know, I would say particularly for people that are like music and are in the arts. As I said, look up some black artists. You don't have to buy anything. If you want to buy anything, it's great. Music business is d- destroyed, in my opinion, though, so it's not going to make much difference financially. Or enjoy. take
2: <laughs> piano lessons from
4: yeah, that's For all the musicians, too, teaching is like actually a pretty okay way to survive as an artist, especially now, because nobody's playing any shows. But, um, well,
2: let me just give you a little testimony. I think I, I took lessons from you for... Just barely a year before, I was playing Miles Davis All Blues, which I had figured out from improvising from a blues chord sequence you'd taught me, and I listened to the album and figured out this whole thing.
4: Yeah, it was awesome.
2: <laughs> but you instilled all that, and you set the seeds of that.
4: Yeah, and that's you know I think that's my my uh, goal as a teacher is not to teach any anybody one thing. It should give people the tools where they can teach themselves whatever they want because that's what my and dad, they can
2: learn it
4: exactly because
2: and the, feel it in their bodies
4: totally and that's you know that's what music's supposed to be and you know that's what I'm so grateful for my dad for giving me was the ability to kind of self-teach in a way. And uh, this may seem self-destructive because like, well, if you teach your students how to teach themselves, aren't they going to leave you? Well, thankfully, it hasn't happened too much. But, <laughs> you know, it's like the the Sith in Star Wars. You teach your apprentice too much. <laughs> he's going to take you out. So you got to hold some secrets. But um, anyway, you know, it's... I think that's, that's what being a musician is all about. And that's one thing that's very hard to learn, especially in those institutions I was talking about, because they can't make money off that if the if the banner on the music department says, we'll teach oh. you how to be creative, which you really could do by yourself and not spend free By yourself. <laughs>
2: by yourself.
4: <laughs> you know, if that's what that said. No one would sign up. And I almost signed up. It was because it was so expensive that I didn't end up going. And I'll just tell everyone, I did get into Berkeley and it was the only school I auditioned for. So I, I got <laughs> oh, I
2: almost said the name. I almost said the name, but I was refraining.
4: I, I got some, some cred if you want to look at it that way. But I've come to realize all most of these schools are, you know, they're just trying to make a buck, which whatever, you got to do what you got to do. But the way they do it, in my opinion, is often sort of disingenuous and <clears throat> appropriating some of these systems or moving forward, some of these systems that are still in place. So, you know, that's why and, and yeah I'm, I'm actually, yes. I was a terrible piano student <laughs> I, I don't hard, I to I hard to believe I could hard to believe couldn't give one reason it wasn't wasn't with my dad but obviously he was a saxophonist so he didn't really teach me how to like actually play the piano but you know I had a few piano teachers for a little while and I I was not a good student I, I would never practice so I took the lessons of what didn't work for me there and I, I apply those in my teaching now just to keep it, you know, to keep it fresh. Because one thing about music is it can seem so tedious and so boring. But I'll tell you, it, it's, it's, not lively. Actually, it's not actually like that, you know, and it's all about how you approach it. And this is another example of whitewashing that I never really thought about. The standard way you teach someone piano, for example, is through classical music. You know, that's a standard piano teaching regimen is, you learn how to sight read, you look, play all these classical songs, you know, who wrote them? White people, you <laughs> know, what style does that cater to? Dead white a, a people, white style, yeah. <laughs> to make it even worse. <laughs> and, and it's just, yeah, I really haven't thought about that. But as I said, these systems are everywhere. So the more you look, the more you'll see them. And you know, that's that's something I don't actively teach people jazz, cause it's black music. I, I teach all genres, whatever anyone wants to learn. <clears throat> you know but I come at it from an angle of creativity which like I said is something that was really prevalent in jazz and I think jazz is the greatest example of a musical evolution because I could I could probably write a paper on it how jazz music you know is blossomed and shot off into pretty much every other form of popular modern music and again, it's
2: influenced everything rock and
4: roll hip-hop all of it, exactly, and and, if, and that's just straight up the truth. And it can it can seem like, well, that doesn't really make sense on the surface, but I'm telling you, it's it's true. And you know, jazz is from a very hard period in American African American history. And you know, you can make a parallel if you looked at it as a graph. You see, oh man, racial suffering was going up. Oh man, musical creativity from black people was going up. You know, those two. Things are tied together in a way, and I think that's why jazz is such a great genre because it uh, or style because um, you know it represents a lot of what was going on, and it's also super complex. So like you know to to figure out why I don't know Art Tatum or Miles Davis or whatever why they played what they played that's like you got to do a lot of digging. I haven't even really figured out still on most songs. You know some of John Coltrane it's not too hard because he's so emotional with the way he played, but You know, that music comes from a period in American history that was, you know, it's an important period. Painful. Exactly. Painful. Painful. And the fact that it, that pain was turned into something so beautiful and creative and then influenced a lot of music today, you know, it just shows you that it's, it's important to, to express and be creative. And, you know, that's a great way to, to deal with stuff. And it's okay if you're, if you're white and you're like, oh man, I'm white. What I, what am I complaining about? You know, everyone, we all got freaking coronavirus going around, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) So if you're stressed out about that, you know, make some music. That's been helping me out a lot, just making music to make music. And that's my biggest beef with these uh, educational institutes, is they don't teach people how to be creative, which in my opinion is the biggest gift of being an artist, is that you can just create something. And on, the, yes. on, a, on a level of success, I would say the most important variable to being successful as a recording artist is being unique, and how do you be unique? You, by being creative, you know? So that it's, it's all tied together, and, and you know, I just think it's uh, important to realize how even in music, which on the surface might think, oh, well, that's art, that's spared from all that. It's not, but it's okay, because that has led to a lot of great music, you know? What, where'd the blues come from? From the, the the suffering, it was the blues, you know what I mean? What is having the blues? It's, you know, just gotten your 40 acres and a mule and uh, dealing with racism and being like, oh man, what the hell do I do here? <laughs> you know what I mean?
2: I'm gonna sing song about it, and yes. Exactly,
4: so that's, you know, it's all, it's all connected in that way. And for white people, when you're playing the blues, just think, don't I don't care. You can play there's a lot of white people who are great at the blues. I respect any musician who's skilled just for their skill. But think well, I for, played
1: all
2: blues for you and you weren't offended. Exactly.
4: And and it's because in a way it's it's telling that story and it's you know carrying that forward through another form of, of recording it, which is just the music, but if you're- white, I like
2: to think of it as paying tribute totally. when I and play I was, that
4: kind of stuff. I was gonna say, if you're a white person and you're, you're playing that and you're thinking about this, all you gotta do to make me feel like respect, you know, that's the right thing to do, is just say, oh, man, I see where this came from. You know, that yep. was real, that was history, you know? And just think about that and remember that and realize that it's all connected. And you know, that's, that's just how it goes. So, I don't know, I've been going a little longer than, than we This class. is
2: beautiful. <laughs> I love all of this. We're going to keep so much of this, but, um, are you tired?
4: Yeah, I do actually. I think I do. I
2: think I need to cook. Sorry. We still have not had Uh, dinner. Yeah,
4: yeah, actually, me. I forgot. (laughs) You need to eat. All right. Love you, Cleef. This is beautiful. This is so beautiful. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It's great to talk about that stuff. No,
2: this is so important. And this is just everything the podcast needs (laughs) to be right now. It is.
4: Well, thank you very much.
3: Small birds sing, and the lambs to skip and play. I hope Sometimes I am uneasy And troubled in my mind Sometimes I think I'll go to my love And tell to him my mind But if I should go to my love My love he would say show to him my boldness, he'd ne'er love me again. If I show to him my boldness, he'd ne'er love me again. Through bushes and through briars, I've lately made my to hear the small birds sing and the lambs to skip and play all four to hear the small birds sing and the lambs to skip and play hey, Big passé dans et il va ne le pas passé dans et Basta Imam, koče gaso buje venole, koče gasa vije venole, koče gaso buje venole, koče gasa vije venole. Bastard, Iman, Tate, Gavikash, Negoche, Avivas, and no, Negoche, Avivas, and no, Negoche, Avivas, and
0: Meat for Tea Cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meet for Tea, The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Zone Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meet for Tea at www.meetfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meetforteacast at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meat for tea cast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the meat for tea cast. If you've attended a meat for tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyrighted meat for tea and their respective holders. Vote for meat for tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at elizabeth. Meet for Tea on Instagram and on the Meet for Tea and Meet for Tea cast Facebook pages. Meet for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.